If you're new with us, we want to welcome you just to kind of get up to speed a little bit. We uh, here at Calvary are currently uh, working our way through the Gospel of John, which we will pick up next week, God willing. But uh, we've put that aside for a few weeks to do a, a series we've entitled 2020 Vision for the New Year. And uh, as we have said, uh, every new year brings with it new hope. And uh, that's what kind of makes a new year kind of exciting. It brings with it new hope that, you know, this year is going to be different. That maybe God's going to give us some new opportunities to serve Him or at our jobs. Uh, maybe some new strength for victory over old sins, that kind of thing. Or, you know, uh, maybe perhaps a new relationship if you're single. Bottom line is that we hope that every new year we hope that this year is going to be better maybe than last year. Unless you're 2019 was awesome. We want to see it repeated. Uh, but for a lot of people, it wasn't. They lost loved ones or uh, health issues or just some other tragedy. And so you're hoping that this year is going to be better than last year. And if that's where you're coming from, that you want this year to be better than last year, I want you to know something that uh, you're on solid ground biblically. Uh, you're on solid. The hope that God does something new this year, you are on solid ground biblically. And um, we serve a God who is constantly wanting to do new things in the lives of his people, all right? And this was something that God promised Israel even when things didn't look so good. If you study their history, you will realize that when they were in captivity in Babylon, which wound up being 70 years, and um, they wound up there because of their sins. It was one of the darkest periods in their nation's history. It doesn't take much for us to imagine what the Jewish people must have been feeling for those years. I mean, they must have felt forsaken, abandoned by God. The future looked bleak and even hopeless. And yet in the midst of all this darkness and depression, God, as he often does, broke through uh, with a message from the prophet Isaiah, a message of hope, out of Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, where God said to them, now, the context is important. You just read these two verses without the context, you don't really appreciate them as much as if you had that little bit of background we just talked about. But in the midst of one of the darkest periods in their history, because they failed, they sinned. Here's what God said. Do not remember the former things, forget the past, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? In other words, soon you're going to see it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, guys, I believe this passage captures the heart of God for his people throughout the year. But especially as we enter a new year, as we have a couple weeks ago, that there is hope, that there is hope. No matter how dark and hopeless things may look at the moment, no matter how bad 2019 was in your life, and maybe you blew it pretty badly. Maybe you're thinking that things are going so bad because God has forsaken you, because you haven't lived up to, you know, your Christian ideals. I want you to know that God, first of all, has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. He didn't say when you're doing good or only when you're walking with me in closeness. I will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what you do, what sins you commit. I am, I've committed myself to this relationship forever. You can walk away from me. I'll never walk away from you. 
And as far as you want to get from me, if you decide to turn around and come back to me, I'm standing right there behind you. So I want you to know that, got to say, okay? But he also wants you to know that he wants to do a new thing. Forget the past. It's over. Oh, but I blew it so badly. Forget it. It's over. If you've asked for forgiveness, God's for, if you're a child of God and you ask for forgiveness, God's forgiven you. And now God is telling you, I want to do a new thing in your life, in all our lives. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? You know? How can you be sure that this passage expresses God's heart and desire for my life personally? Well, I know it because I know God. And I know from His Word. I know it because God is always wanting to do new things in the lives of His people. I mean, He proved that when we first got saved. Remember what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, saved, he, she is a new creation. Old things passed away, behold, all things have become new. Now listen, there was we didn't have any more baggage in our lives than the day we accepted Christ, right? I don't know what you've accumulated since then. It was It's nothing compared to the baggage you brought to Jesus and said, Well, Lord, I want to receive you all night. Can you forgive me? I mean, look at, I got a lot of baggage. Yeah, no problem. Come to me. I'll take care of it. If God can do a new thing in your life then, don't you think he wants to continue to do new things in your life now when you blow it and all? But, but he's a God who's always wanted always want to do new, new, new things, right? Uh, he showed it with us, made us a new creation, spiritually speaking. Uh, we accepted Jesus. And someday he's going to show this principle to the whole universe, basically, uh, because we read in Revelation 21 that God said, Behold, I make all things new. And then John's looking as God recreates everything. He, saw, he said, I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So someday God's going to do an entirely new thing. This creation has been corrupted by the fall. And it's still beautiful, isn't it? You look out into the night sky or you throw a telescope and, or just in the beauty of nature. Hey, look, if the creation is still this beautiful after the fall, after sin has corrupted and tainted it, what is a new creation going to look like that's never been corrupted or tainted by sin? Until then, understand that when it comes to our spiritual lives personally, that part of us that deals with our relationship with God, he always wants to do new things because it keeps our relationship with him, listen, fresh and vibrant. Fresh and vibrant. You see, God hates complacency and stagnation in the spiritual lives of his people. Because he knows if we're not constantly moving forward, we will inevitably start sliding backward. Oh, I'm holding my own pastor. I'm not going to church like I used to anymore. I'm not really reading the Bible like I used to, but I'm holding tough with God. No, you're not. No, you're not. Either you're moving forward or you're sliding backward. That's why the Bible likens our relationship to God to a what? A walk, which implies motion. Think of it this way. The Lord Jesus is in front of us, and we're leaning on him. And as he's walking, we're walking. If we stop, he keeps going. What happens to us? we fall. We cannot just, we have to keep moving. We have to keep walking with him. Otherwise, we're going to be sliding backward, mark it down. It's just the way it is. 
And so, guys, you can be sure that in this new year, God wants to do something new in your walk with him. However, as we've been saying through the course of this series, change only becomes a reality when, listen, we get serious about it and set our sight firmly upon it. And to do that, we must see this year and, of course, every other year after it through the lens of God's word. That's what we've been talking about. It's only when we view the new year and life itself, obviously, through the lens of God's word that our lives come into focus and make sense, which then allows us, as we have said, to take aim at change. Got to look at the Bible, your life through the lens of God's word. But the Bible's a big book, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's a lot of pages in there. Okay, where do I start? All right. Uh, where do I start? Well, you got to start somewhere. And uh, rather than just opening it up and put your finger down, that's not the best way to find out where to start. Uh, what we have been suggesting is the best place to start viewing life through the lens of God's word is through the greatest commandment in the word of God. We know it's the greatest because Jesus himself told us it was the greatest command in the scriptures. It comes out of Mark 12, verse 30, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment of them all, he said. This then becomes the lens that we must view our lives through. The number one pursuit of this new year, which by God's grace, I'm convinced, by God's grace and strength, that we will look at our lives through the lens of God's word, and in particular, this one commandment. You build on that. But right now, through this one commandment, the greatest in all the word of God, if that becomes the lens, am I really loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength if I do this, or if I do that, or I say this or that, or wear this, or whatever, whatever it might be, eat this, you know, whatever uh, you're wrestling with. Um, but if that's the lens, I believe that by God's grace, if you faithfully look at your life through that lens, um, you're going to see the change that you're hoping for this year. Let me recap the first three injunctions, okay? We've already looked at. To love God with all your heart. The heart is the seat of the will. And therefore, to love God with all your heart means that you have to purpose or will in your heart that certain things have to be done. And we talk, I'll just give them a quick, I won't explain them again, but uh, purpose in, you're going to love God with all your heart this year, then first of all, purpose in your heart to live a life of obedience and commitment to God. Number two, purpose in your heart to control what comes out of your mouth. Number three, purpose in your heart to honor God with your finances. We talked about that. And then finally, purpose in your heart to bring God into every substantive decision. Next, to love God with all your soul. As we said a couple weeks ago, the soul is the seat of our emotions. So when we talk about loving God with all our soul, we're talking about having, listen, passion for God. Passion for God. You know, we're not just talking about loving Jesus. All Christians love Jesus. We're talking now about passion. So we're talking about being in love with Jesus. And it's not the same thing, right? I love my sister. I'm in love with my wife. It's different. You say, well, I don't know. How do I fall in love? I love Jesus. But how do I fall in love with Jesus? Well, how'd you fall in love with your spouse? You met, started dating, you started liking this person. The more you dated, the more you spent time together, the light began to turn into love. And finally, you fell in love with that person. You got married. You cannot fall in love with Jesus without spending time with him. 
I mean, it's, this is Christianity 101. It's not rocket science, and I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying sometimes, as Peter said, we got to be put in remembrance of the basics because we tend to lose sight of some things. And you've got to spend time with the Lord Jesus in the Word, um, you know, in prayer. And as you do, you're going to start drawing closer to Him. I mean, love is going to turn into passion. You're going to be in love with Him. It's going to affect everything. Number three, to love God with all your mind. As we said last week, the mind is the seat of reason. When God said in Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. He was appealing to the mind. As we have said in previous studies, especially last week, the mind is ground zero for spiritual warfare. It is the main battlefield in our war with the devil where most spiritual warfare is fought. You don't understand what I'm talking about or don't believe that's true? Listen to the last week's study. Spiritual warfare is primarily a battle for control of our thinking because Satan knows if he can control the way we think, he can control the way we live. Proverbs 23, verse 7, God said, As a man thinks in his heart, and the idea is in his mind. We think in our mind. It eventually gets into the heart, uh, in the area of convictions, but <clears throat> it starts off with what we think in our mind. As a man, woman thinks in their mind, so is he, so is she. That's why God in his word commands his children, Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard what enters your mind through your eyes and ears especially, for everything you do flows from it. The mind is the control center. That's why Satan attacks it, tries to influence it, tempts it, and so on. Because he knows that he can get you thinking like he wants you to think. He can get you living the way he wants you to live. That's just all there is to it. And that brings us to the fourth and final exhortation of the greatest command in the Bible. <clears throat> to love God with all your strength. And of course, strength is a reference to physical strength. Or as one old-time author put it, the physical energy and function of one's bodily powers. Okay, I just thought that was kind of cute. Um, but the first three injunctions are internal qualities, heart, soul, and mind. And the fourth is the outward action that results, or in other words, flows from those inward qualities of love for God. It's important, guys, that we put into action all the love that we have for God inwardly. Otherwise, our love for God is never expressed outwardly. And, and that means our light never shines and the world around us is never exposed to God's love flowing through the lives of his people. God's love in the Greek agape is a sacrificial love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that God's love is a totally unselfish, sacrificial kind of love. And Romans 5, 5 says, when you accepted Jesus Christ, at that moment, the spirit of God moved inside and he poured God's love into you and I. We can't manufacture agape love. It comes from God. We can't, we have our own human love. That's not agape love. It's often selfish and self-centered. God's love is totally others-centered. 
And for us to have agape love in our hearts and lives, it has to be given to us by the Holy Spirit. For that to happen, you have to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Spirit moves in. Again, check out Romans 5, 5. He pours that love, God's love, into our hearts. And now that we're saved, God wants us to demonstrate as his servants now, as his representatives. Jesus began a work. He went back to the Father and turned it over to his church. We are now his body on the earth. We are representing him. And as, even as he showed God's love on the earth, ultimately by going to the cross and dying for us, now he wants us to demonstrate God's love to the people of this world, especially to other Christians through our lives. Turn to 1 John 3. We just finished John's, epistle, first, uh, John's first epistle. And uh, so we studied this. We were going through this. But I want to read it to you again. 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. I want to read it to you out of the NLT 2, second edition. We know what real love is. He's talking about God's agape love. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone, or excuse me, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, in other words, doesn't help them physically with any food or a rent or something, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us demonstrate that love through our actions to prove it is true. It's God's love in truth. Guys, loving others, which again means serving and sacrificing for them, especially, again, other Christians, listen, is one of the chief ways we love God with all our strength. In other words, our physical lives in this world. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these my brethren, you do for me. Sacrificial service then becomes the outward expression of our love for God. The New Testament in general has a lot to say about Christians being servants. In fact, the Bible says we have been saved to serve. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't really get to sit on the sidelines and watch others compete and run the race. Uh, there are many who do that. That's not living biblical Christianity the way God intended it. I'll read you these scriptures. There's many I could read to you. I'll just have you write down the references talking about how we've been saved to serve. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. Okay, great. Was there a purpose in it? Yeah, okay. To, to, that we are totally committed now to doing good deeds, to good works, acts of kindness. In other words, we have been saved to serve. That's exactly what Paul is telling Titus, who was a young pastor, right? Yeah, he freed us from every kind of sin, cleansed us, made us his own people, that we would be zealous for good works, is the idea. Galatians 6, verse 9, Paul says, So let us not get tired of doing what is good, and the context is serving God. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I don't know what ministry you're involved in. And sometimes, you know, you're serving, you're serving, you're serving, you don't see a lot of fruit, maybe, or any fruit. Don't give up. 
you will see an abundant harvest when you get to heaven and are rewarded. But on the earth, be patient. So, and, and of course, uh, you know, uh, it was Paul who used the illustration of a farmer, how a farmer has to cultivate the ground. And uh, that, that's, all, that's hard back in those days. All the rocks you had to get out of there and, and cult, then plant the seed, water it, watch over it, keep watering it. A lot of work goes into uh, a field before the farmer sees any fruit for his labors. That's ministry. But we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep doing it for him. And in his time, he will bring forth the fruit, whatever that means in your life and in your ministry. But Romans 12, 11 Paul said, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I don't like it, and I know the Lord hates it. When people serve him in the church or serve this church, and they're kind of grumbling, oh, gosh, i got to do this again, you know. Um, you know, Or they act like they're doing you a favor, you know. Pastor, I'm doing you a favor. Are you doing me a favor? You know, we appreciate what you do. Don't get me wrong. But you're serving the Lord. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Lord doesn't, you know, he's not blessed in his heart that you act like you're doing him a favor by serving him. We need to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Just as God loves a cheerful giver with our money, he loves a cheerful giver with our service. Now, I know, and let me just say this, um, The amount of love you have for God in your heart will be directly proportionate to how faithfully and even how fervently you serve him outwardly through the actions of your life. Guys, the inward qualities of the heart, soul, and mind are what drive the outward activities of our lives. If you only love God inwardly, but never translated into practical living and service, well, it's meaningless. Because our love for God inwardly only finds meaning if it is demonstrated by loving others outwardly. And in fact, John tells us that loving others outwardly is actually a test of whether or not we really love God inwardly in our hearts. Remember what John said, 1 John 4.20? If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? In other words, the litmus test about how much you, for how much you love God is how much you love others, made in His image. How much you love the body of Christ, especially if you're a Christian. This is important. Basic, but very important. Someone has said that, and I'm quoting them, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, and a hand through which Christ helps. Another writer stated it more fully when she said, and I quote, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died he has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will ever read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in word and deed. But what if the type is crooked? 
What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other work other than his? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurements is? What if our tongue is speaking of things his lips would, his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him or welcome his return? And many are going to be ashamed of his appearing, the Bible says. Because either they weren't serving him at all, or they were serving him out of the wrong motives. There's a lot of people that serve God for recognition, or for the perks they get. A lot of pastors, I heard a pastor say one time that uh, he became a pastor because the denomination he was involved in uh, paid a good wage and had a good retirement plan. All right, so it's a good career for you, okay? It's not a career for me, it's a ministry. So if that's where you're coming from, God bless you. That's not where my heart is. I don't do this for a career. I do it because it's a calling. I can't do anything else. When God saves you and calls you into ministry, he ruins you for everything else. <laughs> he does. Because he gives you a burden in your heart that nothing else satisfies. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel, right? Or be a pastor. Now, others would say, well, no, Phil, I, I intend to serve the Lord someday. I really do. I'm not busy season in my life and so on, but um, you know, I really intend to serve him someday. Just right now is the, not the right time. Can I just say this? There will never be an ideal, an ideal time to start serving the Lord. It's like having children. Her young people say, well, we're going to have kids, but uh, it's just not the right time yet. And I always tell them, if you wait till it is the right time, you better look for grandkids that you never had because you'll be old and gray by the time you think you're ready to have kids. Just like ministry. There will never be an ideal time to start serving the Lord. If you're going to make this your count by accomplishing your goals, drawing closer to the Lord, you got to start now. you got to start right now. Don't wait. you got to serve Him right now. I love Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. Okay, Solomon wrote, He who observes the wind will not sow. A little windy today. I'm not going to sow any seed today in my field. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Oh, it looks like rain today. I better not go out there and harvest the crops. In other words, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. As somebody has said, there is only one life that will soon be passed. And only that which is done for Christ will last. And yet, according to a survey I saw a while back, the average American spends 2.65 2 hours a day or 18 hours a week watching TV and only 11 minutes a day or one hour and 17 minutes per week in religious activities. Now, that's no doubt a lot of folks that are you know into denominations and things. Uh, I don't know where evangelicals line up. I'm just giving you the, the broad statistic. But uh, I did see a little survey or a, a little article called Divisions of Time in Our Lives. And the author, C.C. Albertson, uh, he, uh, he said, look, it might be wise for us to take a little inventory of our resources as to time and review our habits of using it. He said, look, we all start out with 186 hours uh, each week. 56 of those hours, depending on the person, you have to spend in sleep. Of the remaining 112 hours, we devote 48 to labor. Now that leaves 64 hours 
Uh, and out of those 64 hours, we have to assign some of that for meals. I'm going to maybe assign half hour per meal and then an hour and a half for good digestion, which I'm not sure what he meant by that. Um, okay. Uh, which means we have 52 hours left in the week that we can do whatever we want in. Okay. And uh, he said, is it too much to say that God should get a tenth of that, a tithe of those 52 hours? In other words, 5.2 hours a week should belong to God. He said, this would require you to come to two services a week and spend about 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible reading, end quote. Now, is that too much to ask of a person who wants this year to be different spiritually and they want to learn to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Is, is that little bit of time each week um, too much to ask? I don't think so. But I know a lot of Christians at this point would say, but, but Phil, after I finish, all I have going on, I, I have no energy left with which to serve God. And that's true for most people. Listen, who try to serve the Lord in their own strength. When Jesus told us to love God with all our strength, yes, he had our physical body, our physical man in view. That's true. But our physical body is empowered with the strength of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's strength becomes our strength when we submit our life to him as an instrument to be used for his glory. The strength for serving God comes from the Holy Spirit. The strength to serve ourselves, that comes from us. And oftentimes we're so busy using all of our energy and time serving ourselves that there's nothing left. We're burned out. So we don't feel we have any energy left to serve God with. Well, that's true maybe in your flesh. But what you need to do is look to the Holy Spirit to give you the strength, the supernatural strength you need to serve God with. Listen. When, we really, when we're really doing His work, His way, and in His will, listen. He will supply the power and strength we need to do the work. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, do you need strength to serve God in ministry? Absolutely, it's a need. Is that a frivolous need? Is it uh, a fleshly want? Oh, absolutely not. Serving God is the highest calling you could attain to or give yourself over to. As long as you understand, it's a supernatural endeavor, right? And um, if you're doing his work, his way, in his will, he'll give you his power to do the work. And if we're serving God and we're weary, we're worn out, it's usually because we're trying to serve the Lord in our own strength, and often we're doing it for our own glory. Not everybody does it this way, but oftentimes people get involved in ministry for the recognition, for, you know, the, the praise of men, as the Bible says. You know, look at me, how spiritual I am. Or look at me, I'm, I'm so spiritual, the pastor recognized that and made me uh, an elder or something, you know? 
And it's those kind of folks who are doing it, not for the Lord Jesus Christ in his strength. They're doing it for themselves, for their own glory. They get burned out. They get burned out. If you're doing it for the Lord, your heart is right, and you're doing it in his strength and power, he will give you supernatural strength to do whatever he's calling you to do. I think a good illustration of this is John Wesley. I was reading a little biography about John Wesley the other day, and I had to share it with you because it fits into the topic. And, uh, you know, one biographer had this to say about John Wesley. He said that John Wesley was a dynamo. He preached in St. Mary's in Oxford. He preached in the churches. He preached in the coal mines. He preached in the fields and on the streets. He preached on horseback. He even preached on his father's tombstone. I don't know how that worked, but he did it. Uh, John Wesley didn't tire. John Wesley preached 42,000 sermons over the course of his ministry. He averaged 4,500 miles a year, most of it on foot or by uh, horse. Uh, he rode 60 to 70 miles a day by horse and preached three sermons, three sermons a day uh, on average. When he was 83, he wrote in his diary, I am a wonder to myself. I never get tired, either, either with preaching or writing or traveling, end quote. You say, what was the secret to his strength? Everything he did, he did in the power of God's spirit. He didn't do anything in his own strength. Remember what Paul said to all of us in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might. The Greek word for might is dunamis. We got our word dynamic, dynamite from that Greek word, right? The author said that Wesley was a dynamo. Yeah, because he was drawing his strength from God's power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, do you realize that even back in the Old Testament, the Lord tried to communicate this principle to his servants, the priests. He did that by commanding that everything the priests wore was to be made of linen. God forbid them from wearing anything made from wool when they served him. Why? Seems a little odd. Why is that? Because he didn't want them to perspire in their service for him. You see, God wanted to communicate to his priests and to all of us through them that their service to him wasn't to be a burden or laborious or rigorous it was to be joyful and done in the strength of the holy spirit and guys sweat or perspiration symbolically represents service done in the flesh and not done in the spirit now contrast with all the all of the perspiration going on in the work of god today in the church so much of it being done in the energy of the flesh. I mean, you know, you have people that are just perspiring all over the place, serving the Lord, you know? And um, what they're doing is they're doing it often in the energy of the flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. I've used this quote before. Let me give it to you again. I love it. I use it a lot. A.W. Tozer, who rightly said, and I'm quoting him, if we removed the Holy Spirit from the work of the early church, 90% of what they were doing would have come to a stop. If we remove the Holy Spirit from the work of the church today, 10% of what is being done would come to a stop. In other words, there's a lot of work being done 
in the name of the Lord, but done in the power of the flesh and not in the power and strength of the spirit. And that's why men, check it out. That's why I forgot how many thousands of pastors are leaving the ministry every month all across this country. Maybe it might have been all around the world. I'm not sure. They're worn out. They're burnt out. They're, they're tired. They're uh, feeling very uh, discouraged, depressed even. They're leaving ministry in droves. I can't speak for all of them, but I know a good part of that number is because they are trying to serve the Lord in their own strength and not in his power. How do we love God with all of our strength? We do it by serving him in the spirit. Well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you realize. We've already talked about it. But it starts with the way you think. Everything does. First of all, you realize that, listen, serving God is a supernatural endeavor. So don't attempt to do it in your own strength. You will always fail miserably, and constant failures will lead to great frustration, and you'll get out of ministry. You cannot serve, you cannot conduct or be involved in a supernatural work with your own natural strength. It's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you these scriptures. You can write them down. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. You've got to know the, the background. This is after the Jews came back from Babylonian captivity. Uh, after 70 years, uh, they came back, made the arduous 700-mile journey back to uh, Israel, back to Jerusalem primar uh, primarily. You remember that uh, the Babylonians sacked the city, destroyed Jerusalem, the surrounding villages, houses, the temple was destroyed. It was, so when they got back, they were facing a gi giant mounds of rocks and all over the place. That's what they came back to. As my pastor used to like to say, if you've got a million rocks and you work all day moving rocks at the end of the day, it looks like you haven't done anything. They got discouraged. They were ready to give up, and God spoke through the prophet Zerubbabel and said, tell the people it's not by their power nor by their might, but by my spirit the work is done. That was an incredible lesson, such an important lesson for them to learn, but also for us to learn. When you get discouraged, and I'm talking about anything in life, you're a young mom raising kids, that's your ministry. You're going to get discouraged. It's a lot of work. It's a labor of love. It's a lot of work raising little ones. And sometimes you get discouraged. You get worn out. You get tired. You've got to draw your strength from the Lord. The Holy Spirit, you've got to. Whatever you're doing for the Lord. Jesus, before he ascended back to his father, after he rose from the dead, he told his guys now, they had been with him three and a half years, they had heard him preach the gospel thousands and thousands of times. They could have recited the gospel in their sleep. But he told them, you're not ready to go out and preach the gospel yet. Go back to Jerusalem. I'm reading Luke 24, verse 49. You're, you're not ready to go out and preach it. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Remember I told you that you're not going to go out until you're first endued with power from on high. You need supernatural power to do what I'm calling you to do. You got the intellectual stuff going. A lot of guys have their degrees in, from a seminary somewhere. They got the intellectual stuff nailed down. They don't have the power yet. Yet they're going out there serving. And it's not pretty oftentimes. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said before he ascended to his disciples, you shall receive power. The Greek word again is dunamis, dynamite power, dynamic power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. These guys, uh, John 20, Jesus upper room appears to them, breathes on them. They received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came inside. They were now New Testament born again Christians. We'll have more to say about that when we get to John 14. So they were saved, New Testament wise. Spirit was in them. You're not ready to go out and preach yet. The Spirit has come upon you. You've got all Christians of the Spirit in them. Not all Christians have the Holy Spirit upon them. Not all Christians have been empowered for the work. But you shall receive power and the Spirit comes upon you then you'll be ready to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So recognize that any work for God's a supernatural work you have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and if you're getting weary in the work then realize that's a red flag that you're probably not doing it in the power of the Spirit. If you're growing weary and uh, in your own strength is being tapped to do the work You'll know it because you're getting weary and frustrated. You need to stop, confess the sin of trying to do God's work in your own strength and pray earnestly for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I love what God said through the prophet Isaiah, one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Even youths, young people, shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. In other words, you know, human strength only goes so far. Even young people get worn out doing stuff, right? But those who wait on the Lord, and the Hebrew is, draw their strength from Him, shall renew their strength. <laughs> they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because it is not their strength they're operating in. It is the Holy Spirit's power. And they can do things and work. I mean, uh, when I was reading a book about one guy who was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, I've got so much energy now. He said, he says, there's a couple nights a week. I'll just work all through the night working for the Lord. I don't get tired. Wow. No, nope. I get tired. Okay? I mean, I'm not saying that you'll never get tired if you're really baptized in the Spirit. But when you're serving God, there's a, I don't know, just your strength, the strength is there. A lot of times, I, I'm, I'm feeling really worn out, and probably physically and just you know, in, in my own strength. And I've got to go to church and minister. I've got to do something for the Lord. And I just cry out, Lord, I need your grace. i got to draw your strength now. I, I don't have it in me. And I'm not kidding you, God always comes through. And I, I leave after ministry with more energy than I had even coming. Because that's how the Lord does it, right? Guys, I believe, now we're talking about the baptism with the Spirit will close. I believe that, this, and I've said it before, let me say it again, I believe this is the greatest need in the church today and the single greatest reason why we are losing the culture war to the devil in America when the Lord Jesus promised us clearly that against his church the gates of hell would not prevail. Listen, it's because we are trying to do the work of God in our own strength and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of activity. Result is a lot of activity. But a lot of weariness and exhaustion to go along with it. With very little lasting fruit to show for it, by the way. And it's because we have substituted programs for the power of God. And degrees, theological degrees, for the dynamic 
of the Holy Spirit. Hudson Taylor, who started, who founded China Inland Mission back in the 1800s, and, and I read his book. Um, uh, it's called uh, Hudson Taylor's um, Spiritual Secret, I believe it's called. Um, it's a great book. It talks about when Hudson Taylor got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, after he was baptized and had the power of God upon his life for the work of ministry, he said, without the power of the Holy Spirit, even the easiest things seem hard, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, even the hardest things seem easy. D.L. Moody, who had been in ministry for 15 years without the baptism with the Holy Spirit upon his life. Finally, somebody, a couple of women shared with him about the baptism with the Spirit. He began to pray about it, pray about it. Finally, the Spirit of God fell on him. He, sa he said, and I started preaching again, but I wasn't saying anything new. Same gospel I always preach, but this time, not dozens were coming to Christ, but hundreds. There was a power I hadn't known before. He said, I wouldn't go back to the way I was before I, I received the baptism with the Spirit if he gave me all the money in the world. And so, guys, that brings our little series, 2020 Vision for the New Year, to a close. Yes, let me end by saying, uh, if you want change this new year, it's not going to become a reality until you and I really get serious about it. We've all got things we'd like to see changed, you know? Some bigger than others. I want to stop eating chocolate uh, ice cream bars, somebody would say. Okay. Uh, I'll pray for you. I know chocolate's a problem for some people. Uh, but, but we have others that are dealing with some, you know, more serious stuff. Um, so, you know, but if you really want to see change happen this year, and mostly the change of getting closer to the Lord, that, that's, that's good. Um, we have to get serious about it. I mean, really serious about it. Can't wishful thinking is not going to cut it. We've got to get serious about it and set our sight firmly upon it. Then we need to do our part. When we talk about our part and God's part, I can't do God's part. He gives the power to do the work and to make the changes. But I have to have the will. I have to want it, okay? I've got to, we got to do our part, which is taking responsibility to bring about change. In other words, committing yourself to come to church regularly. And I'm preaching to the choir probably uh, this morning. But a lot of Christians want change. They want to draw, I want to draw closer to the Lord. Why are you coming to church every week? Well, not really. You know, the kids have soccer and this. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Remember, I talked about loving God with all our mouth, okay? I'm not going to say it. Uh, but here, I've got, to, I've got to rearrange my schedule to be in church on Sundays on a regular basis, Right? to do my daily devotions, to be in fellowship with other Christians. And that, I would like to see that come into, a, uh, into effect by coming to the, being a part of a small group ministry where you get to know people and can pray for each other. But even then, change won't happen without the faith because it is God's power, right? Paul said in Galatians 2.20, look, the life I now live, and nobody had a more important ministry than Paul the apostle, but the life I now live, I don't live in my own strength and my own flesh, I, I, it's by faith. I have faith in Jesus Christ who lives his life through me. That's the key, right? Well, the Lord is living his life through us. That's the power we're talking about. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. I like the rest of this. He said, for he who comes to God for anything, any reason, any desire, any prayer, must believe that, first of all, he exists. Well, that's obvious. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
If you want to see change this year, you can't throw up a prayer once or twice. Oh, well, God didn't answer it, so, you know. I guess he doesn't want me to see any change in my life this year. Moody prayed for the baptism with the Spirit repeatedly, and every time he got more and more passionate, more and more, he almost became obsessed with this because he knew he realized if he didn't have this power for ministry, he couldn't really do ministry. You need change. You need to pray for it diligently, passionately, fervently, continuously until God opens up the windows of heaven and pours his spirit out and you see change. And remember again what God said to his people Israel many years ago. And I believe he's saying to his church today, Isaiah 43, we'll end with this, verses 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. I don't care what last year brought. I don't care what you did last week or last night. It's over. Confess it to God. And God is saying, don't remember the former things. Don't dwell in the past. That's how the devil defeats you in the present. Don't dwell in the past. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I will do it. He's not saying you need to have a, a better New Year's resolution, folks. No, no, no. Get out of the way. I will do it. Draw close to me. Draw my strength, right? And you're going to see it spring forth. <laughs> it's going to happen, he said. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If your life is like a wilderness spiritually, a desert, I can make it come alive again. I can make your walk blossom like a rose. Come to me. Learn from the past. Don't live in the past. In the past, that was about the flesh. The present, this is about the power of my spirit. Draw close to me. Draw my strength. And if you make that verse, those verses your prayer, and you believe that God wants to do something new in your life because he wants you to be all he wants you to be this year, then you pray by faith, and you keep praying, and you do what you're supposed to do, and watch God work a miracle in your life. I'm convinced 2020 will be not just vision. At the end, it will be reality. That's what we want. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you, Lord, that even in our failures, you're with us. You love us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord, we pray that you would pour your spirit afresh upon us. And Lord, give us a heart that wants to, to be all that you want us to be, to draw close to you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength this year. That we would see radical change. That you would use us in ways we never thought possible for your glory. Father, we thank you. We ask you to keep blessing our studies in your word. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.